Welcome to the pen and the yod. We open up the book of Deuteronomy for this week's Torah portion, Devarim. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayemet Synagogue in Chicago talks with Jonathan Eig about compromise. Can you compromise if you feel compromised? Let's talk about compromise. And the question I would pose to you is, we can all agree that compromise is vital. But how do you compromise without feeling compromised? Hmm, let's, let's, what if I didn't agree that compromise is vital? What relationship could you maintain in your life where you didn't make compromises? I could be the you... president or a rabbi. <laughs> I could rule with, un, with uncompromising authority. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, 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 right. And you can also be a congregation of one, right? <laughs> listening to your pronouncements, applauding your sermons, crying. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Uh, at, at the Torah that you teach, you know, uh, but, but in the real world, even, you know, beginning with Moses, you know, there's constantly this balancing act. But I think leadership is so much about listening and finding balance and making compromises between what you want people to, to hear and what they can hear. It's probably the most overlooked part of leadership, I would say. And I'm, I'm not a leader. I work alone. I don't have an office. I don't have a boss anymore. Um, but I would say that in my limited experiences in positions of leadership and in positions where I was working for others, I felt like listening was the biggest weakness, that it's, it's the thing that you tend to forget it's important because you're so busy thinking about active leading, doing things, um, telling people what they should be doing, organizing groups um, that we forget to listen. I think you're 100% correct. And it would be an interesting study, and I'm sure people have done it. How has our hearing been affected by technology? I'm not talking about going to concerts and being a little hard of hearing. I'm talking about when you communicate through instant messaging, right? Are we just getting the message out there as opposed to, here's what I want you to hear from me, as opposed to how are we going to have a conversation together? That's right. And I think when we're having conversations over Zoom or even over the phone, we don't listen as well as we do when we make eye contact. And Zoom definitely does not count as eye contact to me because I'm usually looking at myself or looking around at all the other people. And I'm checking what's whether I can see in their closets, um, but I don't <laughs> feel like there's a lot of real listening going on. And that's something that's lost. And and as we become more um, remote in our worlds, as we especially now during this time of quarantine, when we're forced to isolate, listening takes a lot more effort. Good listening, active listening takes a lot more effort. So here the Torah, I think, speaks to us in a really interesting way. Because as we open the book of Deuteronomy and Moses is giving what is called the second law, this is... Moses' remembrance of the Torah before he, before he dies and before the people enter the land. We are introduced to the notion of the love of God, which, by the way, doesn't show up before this. And in a prayer that we know very well, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we continue with the via hafta. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so the primary prayer of Jewish life, the first prayer that most of us learn when we are very little, and the last prayer we're called upon to say before we leave this world, is a prayer about 
listening, about awareness, about not just the uh, auditory experience of listening, but the experience of taking in the words or the experience and make it making it part of yourself that leads to a deeper, more thoughtful relationship that leads to love. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. Um certainly in our relationship with God and in our relationship with uh, with others. If you're not really listening, I'm not sure you can really be loving. And if you're not, and by listening, I mean attempting to understand. I had a boss once who always used to say, I hear you. He was a Southerner. He lived, it was when I was living in, in New Orleans. And when we would have meetings and we would have complaints, he would say, I hear you. He used it so often that we knew he wasn't really hearing us. He wasn't really listening. He was, that was his way of checking us off and saying, got it. You know, um, let's move on to the next thing. But to really hear somebody is to empathize with them. I couldn't agree more. And, and what's so interesting about Jewish theology is that it's a theology of relationships. And so the relationship that you apply to God is really based on the relationship you apply to significant people in your life, right? So we speak about God in terms of marriage. So we talk about love and we talk about covenant and we talk about responsibility. And here in the Torah, that's, this is, this is very much at the heart of it. And I can't think of a more important topic than the one that we're living with today which is the power of technology to allow us to create our own universe, our own world, our own place. So how often do you sit with someone who's significant to you and you're looking at your phone, right? Because there's a text just came across or an email or in the days when we went to restaurants, you know, you could see an entire family sitting together and each one looking at a different screen, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and that's just a part of our lives. And I think that this all has, an, interestingly enough, an impact not only on our ability to hear each other, but our ability to find common ground. And to find common ground often means that you have to compromise. And so it's of interest to us that in the Via Hafta, in, in this very important prayer, we are also talking about two institutions that are derived from this prayer. It says that you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for ornaments between your eyes, and you shall inscribe them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Now, you're a writer. If you didn't know about the institution of tefillin, of putting them on your arms or between your eyes, you know, creating boxes and putting these exact texts in the boxes so that you could literally fulfill this mitzvah or taking the text as it's written in the Torah, there are four of them, putting them inside of a tube of some sort, a container, and then literally affixing them to the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. But if, if you didn't know those institutions existed of Mizuzan Tefillin, and you simply said, you simply read these words for the first time, and you say, you put, a, put them on your arm and between your eyes and put them on your doorpost of your house, what would you think it meant? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I might think that uh, you needed to, to write something with ink or somehow mark it with some kind of a temporary or permanent insignia, but I wouldn't think of wrapping the tefillin. I wouldn't think of putting uh, the mezuzah on the door. That seems to me like a, like a compromise. It's a way of uh, trying to solve a vague instruction. Well, maybe, maybe, but isn't it also possible 
that this is a metaphor, that the Torah is using a metaphor here. This is so important to hear, to be, to have this relationship with God and with each other, that you should put it on your arm. That is to say, you should act on it. This isn't just a concept, but you have to act on it every day. You have to work at this every day, and you have to make it a focus. So if you put something between your eyes, you have to see it. You can't look away. And by the same token, you have to live these ideals in your home. So you put it on your doorpost, so as you walk into your home, you are bringing these ideals home with you. And maybe you could say that the rabbis are so intent on making sure that we get the message that they actually created physical reminders of these that we put on, you know, to fill in on your arm and on your head while you're, by the way, as you're wrapping them at one point and putting on tefillin, you actually say, I will betroth you to me forever. You know, it's actually a marriage. You're literally tying the knot. Yeah. And, and, what, and, and, and what are you putting in between your eyes? Hearing. Hearing relationship that leads to love, that leads to attachment, that leads to responsibility. And here I want to suggest also compromise. Because the rabbis themselves are trying to fulfill this mitzvah of mezuzah, and they can't decide if it should be vertical to represent the idea that you should say these words when you're standing up, or horizontal, that you should say them when you're lying down. So they're trying to figure it out. And at the end of the day, you compromise by putting the mezuzah on a slant. So think about this. In a traditional home, every time you walk into your home, you're touching a symbol of compromise before you even enter the door. I think it's a powerful idea. Yeah, it's a really powerful idea. It reminds us about active listening again, because compromise is reached when people listen. I would imagine that when those rabbis were deciding how the mezuzah should be hung, there were some who thought it should be vertical and some who thought it should be horizontal, and they listened to the arguments and, and came up with a compromise. And that in itself is an act of love, because anytime you have a relationship, it's a two-way relationship, and that by definition requires compromise if it's going to be a loving one. Well, I go back to your example of your boss in New Orleans. He was simply just kind of pushing you aside. I hear you. I, I know that you want to be heard. So here, here I'm going to tell you I hear you. And in the same way, so often, we do that when we compromise. Oh, okay. What's a real compromise? And what's just giving in because you don't care enough? Or you don't feel like dealing with it? Or I don't really feel like hearing you. I just am tired of talking about it. Right. Let's, let's compromise on this and move on. Is not the same as uh, genuinely compromising in a way that suggests a loving, equal relationship. And I worry that, as you said, technology has damaged our ability to really hear and compromise because we're all just looking for the quickest way. We've lost the ability to really sit down and look one another in the eye and, and hear what's truly bothering us. And, you know, at a time of crisis like this right now, where black people feel like their lives don't matter. I mean, just think how profoundly sad that is to feel like you are someone who doesn't matter. And we seem incapable of hearing that and trying to understand it. And so much of the solution lies in just beginning to try to hear and understand how someone else feels. And that's difficult for us. We need to work harder at, at developing those skills. There's no question that's correct. I mean, the reality is, is that much has changed in the sense that you don't have 
separate drinking fountains. You don't have separate sections in restaurants or on a counter. You don't have separate bathrooms. But at the same time, people are being killed. People are being discriminated against. And we're not hearing. By the way, the upside of technology, would we know anything? That Would we even know who George Floyd was if somebody didn't record it? Right. The fact that you can hold up a smartphone and you can record things or that you can get the word out in ways that aren't suppressed, that you can go on the internet or you can go on Facebook and you can kind of upload something that can go viral. If you think about that, in the history of humankind, nothing like that could have ever happened, right? When, you know, who's going to publish it? Who's going to print it? Pastor Harris was telling me when we were at a rally the other day that, you know, he wrote a song called Black Lives Matter. This was going back some years back after another one of these terrible murders by someone in, in law enforcement. It's a very catchy tune. He's a very talented singer. He's sung around the world. But when he tried to market it to radios, radio stations, they wouldn't play it. They wouldn't play it. And why wouldn't they play it? Because they were afraid of losing advertising dollars. Too radical. So here you have this kind of the, the catch-22. We won't even hear the song. We wouldn't allow it to be heard so that we could engage in a national moment of empathy. There's the story right there. And how do you get to compromise? And this is really where we're at today. How do you get to compromise in our country when we're not willing to hear, to feel, to empathize, or to love? And it's interesting that those are the steps. It doesn't start with love. It starts with communication, hearing, listening to one another that moves to a relationship, that moves to compromise. It's a powerful yeah. lesson, I think. It's great. It's a great point. The cell phone videos are forcing us to see things and hear things that we had never heard before, things that have been going on for centuries that were swept under the rug that, that people did not have the power or the voice to bring forth to share. And it's great that we're being alerted to that, but it needs to be followed by the next step, which is actual listening and caring and action to treat our brothers as brothers and not just as others who are you know, victims of something that the rest of us don't think applies to us. That I think is such a powerful statement. I think you said it so beautifully. And uh, when brothers become others, we're not listening. When brothers become others, we're not we're not feeling, we're not empathizing. And certainly when brothers are others, there's not going to be any compromise. So let's hope and pray that we can take these ideas to heart, especially in this moment, and go forward on a new path. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Rabbi.